0: Good day, and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And we come to our last episode of season 9 where we've been looking at best picture winners. And I thought I'd end this season with one of my favourites, the film that gave birth to one of the most notorious fictional characters ever, Hannibal Lecter. So for today's episode we should be looking at the 1991 thriller The Silence of the Lambs, based on a novel by Thomas Harris and directed by Jonathan Demme and starring Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Cassie Lemon, Scott Glenn and Ted Levine. The clues and information of a serial killer lives in the mind of another. Fortunately for rookie agent Clarice Sterling, he's locked up and she can merely walk in there and inquire about what he knows and all will be good in the world. And she can use that evidence to catch Buffalo Bill, the killer that's on the loose, who has a fixation of skinning large women and leaving them for dead with a cocoon in their throat. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But no, not so quite. Clarice faces the dilemma of committing to a ruthless, psychotic, brilliant killer in order to better understand another with the hope of catching him. Can you trust former psychologist Dr. Hannibal Lecter, also known as Hannibal the Cannibal, who has been jailed for the lives of eight souls, who has had the pleasure of eating their livers on occasions, depending on what mood he may be in? The movie, in reality, is the second book written by Thomas Harris, who lives his life in complete privacy and obscurity. He declined to be part of the movie didn't want to be you know he didn't want to help out with the screenplay but he kindly gave everyone their blessing he's only written the four Hannibal books and a couple of years ago he wrote another book uh, which was released in 2009 which was a much anticipated new novel the first one that didn't involve Hannibal Lecter called Karimura so he's only written five books in total over the space of like 30 to 40 years so he's um yeah he's quite exclusive thomas harris is a household name who has written like i said only five books and always with a significant gap as well so there's always a big weight between the two books all of his books have been made into movies besides his most recent however i'm sure it's going someone's probably going to take a stab at it uh to the surprise of the cast and crew though because they knew about his obscurity and how private he was he did send a case of wine to everyone that was nominated for an oscar which was quite nice of him Turns out that was quite a lot of uh, cases of wine as well, so he didn't expect the film to be that well received at the Academy. He tried not to watch um, Silence of the Lambs or any of the movies because he thought he would eventually interfere with his writing and develop for the further tales involving Hannibal. But he eventually caved in and he said it was a very good movie. Too bloody right, it won the Oscar, didn't it? I've just recently binge read all of his, uh, free, oh, actually his first three books, and it's extremely addictive. Such a talented writer. I'm looking forward to reading his new one, Carrie Mora. So that should be an interesting one. But as I was saying, Silence of the Lambs is the second book behind Red Dragon, which is the second film. There was a film called, um, Manhunter, which came out before Silence of the Lamb. Um, that came out in the 80s, but it never got any critical acclaim. Not the way Silence of the Lambs did. The book in order goes from I think it starts with Red Dragon which focuses on a character called Will Graham but that's the third film that was released Manhunter was based on Red Dragon but we can forget about that and we can just start with Silence of the Lambs. The second book is Silence of the Lambs but the first proper film the third book is Hannibal where in the Hollywood world came out as a sequel right after Silence of the Lambs directed by none other than Ridley Scott with Julianne Moore taking over as Clarice from Jodie Foster. The fourth is both in the movie and the book Order which is Hannibal Rise and which is the only book I haven't read yet but I'm planning to it's the prequel to the other three the origin story of Hannibal Lecter enough about Thomas Harris books we're here to talk about the Jonathan Demme movie that absolutely triumphed at the Academy Awards so interestingly the right for the books was bought out by one of my favourite actors Gene Hackman Uh, you might know him from the French Connection Crimson Tide Royal Tenenbarns great actor after he read the book and no wonder he, he bought the rights because they're fantastically engaging and addictive and Jodie Foster um, had actually read the book and she tried to buy the rights the second she finished it and realised Gene Hackman had already bought it so she's like damn it so Gene was actually going to direct the movie and play Hannibal Lecter himself which I could totally see him doing to be honest because he's got that sort of violent tendency about his face as well however after his performance in Mississippi Burning great film by the way uh, and there was a clip that was showed at the 61st Academy Awards he realised he didn't want to do any more sadistic roles and I think he stayed true to that all the way up until his retirement in 2003 um but yeah shame he retired so early such talent like one of the best actors out there honestly um the film that introduced handley hopkins award-winning performance as Hannah electric on screen begins here in this 1991 for the silence of the Lambs. now not exactly a negative guy in the general aspects in terms of villains comes into play i mean yes he's a psychopath but he's eventually classified as a mentor in these stories well the first couple of books he is in a way dare i say likable i mean he's elegant in food he loves you know he loves his art music he's Articulate. He's always the smartest person in the room. He's sophisticated, well-educated. This villain has a lot of appealing qualities. And this is the conflict of interest we have between this character and the relationship with the audience. And it's the reason why he is considered probably the greatest villain of all time. I mean, just watch the TV series Hannibal with Mass Mickelson and tell me this sadistic character is not likable. But why? We should hate him, right? He's a psychopath. He kills people. He eats people. Okay, right. So, yeah, he is a serial killer that eats his victims. But the interesting thing in this movie and in this book that Thomas Harris wrote is that he's already caught. You know, he starts the book and the movie as someone who's already been captured. Um, He's already been punished for crimes that we will only hear about and not witness. And it's an interesting dynamic. Even behind bars, he's flourishing with elegance and dismay at the same time. The story is actually... Not even about him, it's not even secondary, it's about Clarice and finding Buffalo Bill with the help of Hannibal Lecter. Now, knowing the synopsis of this movie and even the misleading background to the crimes Lecter is committed to also knowing there is another serial killer on the loose, you assume or expect a typical presented story of violence done in graphic detail and yet, ironically, the perpetrator is sort of portrayed as an anti-hero here. I mean, Dr. Chilton is hated in the book and he's perceived to be hated in the movie as well, more so than Lecter, I mean... Do you agree with me on that? I think so. I mean, there's a little applause here when he says his famous line at the end and he's like, oh, he's going to kill Chilton and we're like rooting for him. I mean, looking back at the history of serial killer movies, usually we are drawn to their motive, desires, and in a nutshell, oddly fascinated with what and how they do it. The why takes a back seat where we're in a world of entertainment cozied up on our sofas with our partners. But in reality, I would hope why would be the first. I mean, Hannibal Lecter is the quintessential American serial killer and has been for a while idolized, popularized, and massively referenced in soaps, TV shows, and other films. I mean, his quotes even live on past the movie and will carry on to. Interestingly, the most famous lines that are in the film are not in the book, especially the most iconic line of the movie at the end. I mean, I'm having an old friend for dinner. That's nowhere in the book, but it's such a powerful line. It's a great line. I mean, he's the embodiment of society's deepest and darkest fears in the comfort of our televisions, and that is probably why we have a large amount of people who thrive on these serial killer movies tv series and now more commonly documentaries there was this criminologist called dr jc olsen who wrote hannibal lecter may be such an attractive character because he is something more than human or something less a vampire a devil or some infernal combination of the two springing from the literary traditions of like Milton's satan or stoker's dracula the character of hannibal lecter may be so successful simply because he plays upon the public's fascination with monsters and ghouls I mean, that's really true as well, because when we, when I was growing up, I was fascinated with like these weird beings like these Dracula's, these mummies, Godzilla, King Kong. I mean, we're just naturally fascinated with things that different. I mean, that's why we enjoy and love Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs. I mean... The list goes on and on. Kevin Spacey and Seven, Stanley Tucci and Lovely Bones, Anthony Perkins and Psycho, Christian Bell and American Psycho, Charlie Staron and Monster, Ghostface, Jason, Freddy, Alien, Predator, Pennywise. The list goes on to what we watch on our screens that provokes this attraction to these kind of characters that are antagonistic and violent and gruesome and sadistic. And yet we can't help but like them. Like many, if not all of these monsters and phantoms, ghosts, killers with a knives, Dr. Hannibal Lecter is excited, magnetic, because... He is completely goal-orientated, regardless of his conscience, and it's unstoppable to watch. Much like Ted Bundy and others, he appears normal, terrifyingly normal. And that's what's so scary, because it confirms to the public world that we just don't know who can be capable of these killings. It could literally be anyone. The person next door is a person you already know. A killer can be anyone, and that notion is scary as hell. There's a reason you have great actors playing these roles. Oscar winners like Christian Bale or Stanley Tucci are playing the role to win Oscars, like Anthony Hopkins did for Silence of the Lambs or Charlie Sterling did for Monty. Typically the villains are played by the better actors because it requires more from the actor. We don't usually talk about the actor who plays Batman. We talk about how good the Joker was. Even with Die Hard, it doesn't exist without Hans Gruber. It's a class of narrative structure. Good cannot survive without evil. And the more evil and sinister one side of the binary is, the better, of course, the good must be. And then we walk on to Clarice. Clarice a female student working for Quantico who is asked to step in. She isn't sexualized because she's a woman. There is no disadvantage of her being a woman or young or a rookie. She is the person Jack Crawford chooses to help because she is smart and capable and maybe, just maybe, Lecter might respond to a young student. There's an interesting thing that the director does with cinematography of this movie. When characters are talking to Starling, they often talk directly to the camera like they're breaking the 4-4. When she's talking to them, she's usually looking slightly off-center and it's really done amazingly. The technique is so the audience would directly experience her point of view and not anyone else's it's asking us to really identify with Clarice's character throughout this whole movie and she's the person we have to we know we have to follow like her we are new to this whole approach we haven't met Lecter like she hasn't at the start we only know as much as she does and it's done on purpose and this is one of the handful of reasons why this film is so engrossing and I believe the term is called dramatic irony where we know as much as the characters when we follow them I mean, Clarice, by far, for me, is one of, you know, a character Hollywood needed to show the world. Like I said, you can't have good without the bad. We've got Sir Anthony Hopkins, so we need a sufficient opponent. Originally, it was meant to be Michelle Pfeiffer, but she demanded too much money. I mean, Jodie Foster's name was next, and only after one meeting she got the role. I mean, the director said it was just the way she walked into the room, so determined. Like Clarice, she had that air of confidence, and she had lobbied so hard for that role. And she got her reward. I mean, Clarice is someone we all know, the underdog, a little fish in a big pond, surrounded by macho ego. However, this film doesn't need to showcase it, doesn't need to glamorise the obvious disadvantage here. Instead, we empower Clarice. She jogs, she sweats, she gets down and dirty. We show her vulnerability, too. She's completely human, and yet her curiosity of her dedication to her job, some may say reckless for her, repeatedly draws her towards danger like a moth to a flame, excuse the pun. The pun because, you know, Lecter puts, or Buffalo Bill puts moths in the throat. It's not really a pun. I guess it's just a reference. I mean, even when Lecter gets his hooks into her, when he finally, you know, overpowers her with his, you know, with his dialogue, it becomes evident that she isn't a typical student field agent. She has this obsessive drive, and that's what makes her an incredible protagonist. I mean, I think in the movie, Jodie Foster and Annie Hopkins only have four scenes together, but my God, they're dynamite. And a funny little thing, when they had their first meeting, Ho- Hopkins, and it's in the movie as well, he was mocking her southern accent, and that was totally improvised on the spot. And Jodie Foster's reaction is completely genuine, and she felt quite attacked, because that's her actual accent. And they left that take in the movie, and afterwards, she thanked Hopkins for forcing that reaction out, but it's priceless. It's in the movie. It's so good. And a great deviation, a slight one from the book, is the book um, in the book that um, they're behind bars. Literally, there's a, it's a cell bar in the movie it's glass and the production designer insisted it should be glass because the idea of bars between Stalin and Lecter wasn't as intimate as glass. And you'd have to agree with that because it sort of cements their relationship. They're not exactly. And I know I said one's a protagonist, one's an antagonist, and that's true, but they're working together here. And that's, what's so interesting about Thomas Harris's book that she is working with the most malicious guy ever. And still, you know, they have this sort of relationship and it's quite interesting to watch. So, the focus for season nine on my podcast was the Oscars, and I left this one till last for good reason. So let's talk about the incredible achievement this film caused at the 64th Academy Awards. Now, we have this term called Big Five in some things. The Big Five, well, we have the Big Six Premier League football teams, the Big Five Animals at Safaris, the Big Five Places to See Before You Die, and the list goes on. And the Oscars also have a Big Five, the Big Five Awards at the Academy, and they are the five best prestigious awards. And they're best picture, naturally, best director, best actor, best actress, and best screenplay. Those are the five big awards at the Academy. You win one of those, consider your movie prestigious. Get nominated for all five, consider your film prestigious too, even if you don't win. But if you've been nominated for one of those five, that's amazing. You're going to get good reviews. You're going to get good critics. Film People are going to see your movies. The Silence of the Lambs was nominated for seven awards. Five of them were for the big five. Now, that's incredible. They got nominated for five of the five big awards. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. It won all five of them. Let me rephrase that. It won all the big awards. It won every single Big Five award. Jonathan Demme won Best Director. Ted Talley won Best Screenplay. Jodie Foster won Best Actress. Silence of the Lambs won Best Picture. And of course... Sir Anthony Hopkins as he is known by one best actor no wonder this film is rated 21st on IMDB's greatest film of all time number seven in the top 100 horrors to see before you die also in the book of 1001 movies before to see before you die the trophy for greatest villain in American film institution of 100 years of 100 heroes and villains number one is Hannibal Lecter. It stayed on the top of the US box office for five weeks. It's included in Roger Ebert's greatest movie list. The movie literally made its budget back in its first week. The movie was selected by the Library of Congress for preservation. The award stretches around the block for this movie. Only three films in history have won the big five at the Academy Awards. Science of the Lambs, which came out in 1991 is the most recent one and that was what 30 years ago the others was it happened one night which came out in 1934 which is like six years after the oscars was even invented and of course more recently i say more recently but more known one flew over the cuckoo's nest in 1975 where jack nicholson became jack nicholson in fact, that was the, it was the only year that year to be nominated for the film to also be nominated for Best Actor and Actress, and they both won as well. The other films in contention for 1991 was actually quite an interesting one. Beauty and the Beast, first, uh, you know, animated film to be nominated. That was a big deal. Uh, Bugsy, the Warren Beatty movie, Oliver Stone's JFK, The Princess of Ties. Um, yeah, so it was an interesting year for that. Um, uh, the 1991 Oscars. With Anthony Hopkins' win, though, which is actually quite interesting, he became the third British actor in a row to win Best Actor after Jeremy Irons and Daniel Day Lewis in 89 and 90. And also with 24 minutes and 52 seconds of screen time, that's all Hannibal Lecter has seen on screen in Science of the Lambs. 24 minutes and 52 seconds his performance was the second shortest ever to win the academy for best actor now your best actor usually all over the screen the camera doesn't come off you but he's only in it for 24 minutes the first person i think the record uh holding that is a guy called david Niven in separate tables back in 1958 who was on screen for only a minute and 20 seconds fewer than hopkins so very close I mean, the movie is truly one to remember. It's just iconic in every way—the characters, the quotes, the music, the twist at the end, the special mentions to to Ted Levine's amazing performance in this too. He's absolutely amazing in this. He was ridiculously, um, you know, awful to watch, and he just sold this character of Buffalo Bill, and he nails it. I mean, I could bark on about how there are metaphors for this movie and the relationship between Clarice and Hannibal, how there is only two on-screen deaths in a, in a crime movie revolving around the number one fictionist or fictitious greatest villain of all time. But at the end of the day, it's just a fucking good film. Came out at the right time for people to see something truly engaging and at the same time grotesque. I mean, coincidentally, the film came out on the year of the sheep for the Chinese year. I mean, could have used that for some marketing right there. I don't think they did though. I do always say though, with every good movie that if you watch it again, you'll see things that you hadn't seen before, simply because you know the development of the movie. Uh, I mean, look at the escape of Hannibal Lecter when he escapes and kills those two guys. I mean, it basically foreshadows some aspect of Buffalo Bill's method of operation. And you can say he's trying to reach out to Clarice dropping breadcrumbs to her before he makes his escape. And that's probably what's going on there. First, he disfigures one of the guards by tearing flaps of skin from his back and and splaying it them like wings, hinting at Bill's obsession with moths. He then escapes prison by cutting off the guard's face and using it as a mask, and that's probably hinting at Buffalo Bill's desire attempt to change his identity by making a suit from women's skin. I don't know, but you could argue that point. And then confuses the police by switching clothes with one of the guards and then throws him down the elevator shaft, much like Bill's moves into his victim's house to confuse anyone, especially the police, to find his old house. I mean, if you look at the sketches in Hannibal's cell at the start. You can see a sketch of uh, GMO's scene from the Belvedere. Buffalo Bill lives in Belvedere, Ohio. Mm, Coincidence? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, like I always say, nothing shown on film is done by accident. So there is a clear murder mystery clues all over the movie when you watch it a second or a third time. And that's why it succeeds. It's why it will remain one of the greatest thrillers in history. And it's backed up with five flipping big Oscar wins that it picked up at the 61st Academy Awards. I mean, technically speaking, Sansa Labs is the only horror movie in history to win Best Film at the Academy Awards. I mean, how many thrillers slash horrors have won, let alone been nominated? Not many. And I've been through this on my Exorcist podcast. Horrors or thrillers never see the light of day at the Academy. And the one time it did, it smashed it, taking home every single award that is deemed part of the Big Five. From Anthony Hopkins' performance to the source novel by Thomas Harris, this film is one of the closest things to perfection. But anyways, that concludes Season 9. Thank you for listening to my season on Best Picture winners. And tune in next week where we'll be starting Season 10 we'll be looking at the MCU universe, the Marvel movies. If you haven't already, please subscribe to me on Spotify, iTunes, and I'm on Google. And you can follow me on Instagram, that's FilmExplorationAH, or lowercase, or one word. But besides that, thank you for listening to Season 9 with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.